Welcome to the Bikers Podcast. My name is Teemu Arina, and today I am talking to Sarah Turner about photobiomodulation, red light, all the different health being performance benefits that come from using red light, your infrared light. I got to know Sarah already, I would say, almost a decade ago, and she's been always into light and frequency and for the last years, a few different companies. She's been working on photobiomodulation, so she's definitely a super enthusiastic top expert on this topic. So I'm very glad I had the opportunity to catch up with you on this topic. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Tamu. It's great to be on. And yeah, it's been a while, so looking forward to this chat. Great. So give us a little bit of a background on yourself so our listeners can navigate where you come from. Sure. So I have been in this kind of biohacking world for a while, but I started out actually as a pharmaceutical chemist. And I spent the first part of my career actually working for GlaxoSmithKline in their inhaled products, looking mainly at things like drug deposition in the lungs and what may affect that kind of deposition and to work out ways to improve drug delivery. So actually, that was my start into thinking more holistically about the body, because one of the main things that that changes deposition in the lungs actually is static charge. And that was something that I was investigating from the point of view of drug delivery through devices. But it quickly got me thinking about how you could more effectively change what's going on in the body and then need less of the drug or potentially not need the drug at all. So that's really how I started to get involved in it. Then it was called alternative health. Now that's morphed into biohacking. But I moved to California actually and got involved in structured water science and all of that whole thing. And I very quickly started to think about the brain because my qualifications actually are neuroscience. So although I was looking at how light structures water, I soon started to think about, okay, if it structures water, how does that affect the brain? And that, of course, there is a whole world of people who were already studying that. So that was my kind of into photobiomodulation specifically for a brain function. And when I trace back the whole history of biohacking, there's different trends. Mm-hmm. But I would say a decade ago, blue light blocking was a big thing. But I wouldn't say red light was yet a huge thing, but it has definitely grown into one in the last few years. Is there any specific studies or outcomes that have contributed to the increased interest in photomyomodulation specifically? Yeah, you're right. I think it's exploding right now. And maybe it did start off by people looking more structured water because that was something when Jerry Pollock came out with his book that people started to take notice of. And specifically, that was how light is affecting biology. And I think from there, people have extrapolated to this kind of amazing world of, of photobiomodulation. But I think also from the, on the brain side, there are a lot of studies that are now coming to light. There's some really interesting research that's being done in Australia, looking at the microbiome. Of course, Hamblin put out a brilliant paper called Shining Light Onto the Head, and that stoked a lot of interest in brain photobiomodulation. But yeah, I think red light generally, just because it works. I think people have been using it for a number of years and it's been a bit word of mouth, especially for things like pain, wound healing, joint issues. So I think that's really why red light is starting to become talked about a lot more now, mainly because it works and people are getting relief. Yeah, I remember this uh, Finnish guy, his name is Vladimir Heiskanen. He's been tracking basically all the research that comes out in photobiomodulation for a decade. And last time I checked, he had four and a half thousand different references on his database or something like this. And he has actually published since several 
reviews also on the biomodulation, but there is a spreadsheet somewhere online which has all these different targeted effects of red light and near-infrared light. And clinically, it has been used definitely in the treatment of diabetic patients, for example, wounds that don't heal. So the wound healing effects have been known for quite some time. And there's some interesting systemic effects that seem to point to yet undiscovered or not fully understood mechanism how the systemic effect happens. So when you shine the light, let's say in an artery, wounds might heal faster on the other side of the body. And what is interesting is that although the mechanism of red light and near-infrared light has been defined as activation of cytochrome C oxidase in the mitochondria and production of ATP, red blood cells don't have mitochondria, so it can't be attributed to this mechanism. So there's something else going on. So why don't you guide us into the basic mechanics or mechanisms of red light therapy, and then we can maybe go into the different targeted uses in the body specifically. Yes. Yeah, you're right. I think there are probably multiple mechanisms that are at work. And we are mammals that are designed to be outside in the light. So it's probably no surprise that we're covered in all different kinds of light receptors. The most studied, I would say, of all of those is the cytochrome C oxidase, like you mentioned, which is within the uh, membrane of the mitochondria. And that's one of the enzymes in the respiratory chain where we know that actually absorbs red light and in doing so sets off a cascade of reactions that leads to dissociation of nitric gas in favor of oxygen and a whole downstream effects such as production of ATP, signaling molecules in reactive oxygen species and that transient release of nitric oxide gas, which leads to increased blood flow. So that's probably the mechanism that's most quoted. But you're right, there probably are a lot of other very interesting mechanisms. I mentioned before that I was interested in structured water. And I think as you get a longer wavelength of light, so light that's more in the near infrared than the red range above 900 nanometers, water becomes a main chromophore, the main light absorber there. And then you could potentially be getting these effects of changing the structured water in the cell, changing protein folding, changing how proteins behave that are surrounded by water molecules. So that potentially is another mechanism. And yeah, you mentioned blood. Yeah, blood doesn't have the mitochondria, but it does have heme. Anything that has this aromatic kind of structure also potentially will resonate with certain light frequencies. So I think you're right. There is a whole plethora of mechanisms that we're only just starting to understand But probably the most recognized and the most widely reported is this cytochrome C oxidase, where you're getting this production of ATP, which is energy for the body. And of course, the body functions a lot better when we have more energy. So that's probably one of the main ways that red light is having this therapeutic effect. Right. Photobiomodulation is also formerly known as low-level laser therapy. So why is that? Why LLT and PPM? Yeah, it's a bit of a mouthful. I think just historically, it was difficult. The main light source that was used was laser. When they first discovered this, a guy called Mester discovered it with looking at rodents and wound healing, actually. Back then, laser was what you could get hold of. It's only recently that we've had affordable and efficient light sources, which is a light-emitting diode. So I think Initially, it was called low-level laser therapy or cold laser therapy, just to reflect that was the delivery system that we were using to deliver this therapeutic light. But since the kind of the invention of these like double stacker LEDs and highly efficient light sources, they've now changed the name to reflect that. 
a group has got together and decided on photobiomodulation as the umbrella term, as it's more descriptive, photo as in light, bio as in biology, and to modulate or change something. So now that encompasses LED or LED therapy and the laser therapy. So really, it's just a word to bring things up to date and bring into the fold new ways of delivering the light, new delivery systems. Right. Yeah. Another interesting thing to mention about that you you mentioned on the effects. So one of them is the activation of cytochrome C oxidase. That is basically those chromophores that absorb this specific wavelength of light and this longer wavelength of light that dominates when the sun goes down. So when you look at the typical panel, it usually has something like 560 nanometers, which is red light, and then going above 800 nanometers, which is infrared light, near infrared light. And if someone is like thinking about the infrared sauna here, far infrared is in the thousands of nanometers. So all those wavelengths have like slightly different effects and it has been argued or argumented that when the sun goes down, it's with this wavelength of light, it is sending a signal to biological organisms to start the processes of healing and recovery. And kind of that's what we are abusing here when you use red light therapies to trigger the body's innate healing potential. Now, the nitric oxide thing is also interesting, increased blood flow. So if you have, let's say, some injury in some area, you can increased blood flow in that specific area in addition to triggering this production of cellular energy and proliferation of anti-inflammatory cytokines as well. So there's this anti-inflammatory and analgesic effect when using photobiomodulation. And there's also a lymphatic component to this as well. So there's enhancement of nutrient supply and oxygen delivery, and that facilitates the removal of waste products. So this stimulation of not just the cardiovascular system, but the lymphatic system, I think is very interesting for the biomodulation specifically. And the anti-inflammatory cytokines then point to effects on modulating the immune system as well. That might help in the management of autoimmune conditions where there might be elevated inflammatory cytokines in the body. And then there's the tissue repair functionality. It has been shown that photobiomodulation can increase collagen production. Personally, I noticed supplementing on collagen every morning and then doing photobiomodulation that I used to have some scar tissue from burns and they just got a lot better over time by uh, repeated daily exposure to photobiomodulation and simultaneous administration of uh, collagen peptides. And yeah, so that's an interesting thing. And then there's the neurological aspects, the effects on nerve cells, the support of nerve regeneration. And also, I would say with red light, the effects on reducing neuropathic pain, basically, if I have back pain or any kind of joint pain or anything, it just like goes away after 20, 30 minutes of administration with photobiomodulation. It's the same for headaches. I've noticed if I have a headache, it's, it might be blood flow, so a constricted blood flow that you can help. But I, I just feel neurologically like less brain fog. So can you like, based on what I just described, talk a little bit about them? functional effects on the body, I would say, on these wavelengths of light and happening there. Yeah. And it's interesting you mentioned all those different systems in the body, because you're right, there is this kind of systemic effect or very holistic effect where, of course, all the systems are influencing all the other systems. And when you're talking about the lymph system, also with regards to the brain, there's the glymphatic system. And that's something where there's some interesting research coming out specifically for sleep and brain function that when you're using these 
red light, it stimulates that glymphatic drainage, which is actually the fluid that's going into the brain. And it seems to be something that where you have these kind of waves or pulsing of the glymphatic system, which flushes over the brain a few times during the night. And potentially that's what's washing away any misfolded proteins or any toxins that have accumulated. So again, it's very interesting to see this interconnectedness of the body with all the different symptoms, the glymphatic drainage system along with the lymph system, the kind of the gut nervous system, the enteric nervous system and the nervous system. I think that's the most interesting thing about red light therapy is that it seems to work on a lot of systems at once. And of course, when you improve the functionality of one system, you improve the functionality of another system. Something that I've really started to get interested in the last year is the effect of red light on the microbiome. And there's a whole new field of study coming out of that called photobiomics, where researchers are actually looking at if you shine light onto the abdomen, can you actually change the composition of the microbiome, which of course is a huge topic right now with regards to any kind of long-term illness. It's been connected to some kind of microbiome dysbiosis. And I'm not actually sure in human subjects whether you're actually directly targeting the microbiome or you're just changing the integrity of the gut, the blood flow or the rest of it so you're making a better environment. But certainly on animal studies, mouse models and rodent models, they've shown very conclusively that you can actually change the profile of a microbiome to a more harmonious microbiome or, or a more what would be seen as a healthy gut profile just by using red light on this area. So to me, there's some really interesting research coming out now about different systems in the body and how you can target different systems to have uh, a knock-on effect on other systems. So for example, targeting the gut to treat the brain is a good one, or targeting the heart for the brain or targeting the lungs for the gut. There's all of these different ways of thinking about the body where you're not just taking that more pharmaceutical approach of just having one treatment for one symptom. What you're doing is you're optimizing all the systems in the body. Hopefully, then you're bringing the general wellness up so that the body can heal itself. So yeah, I think that is a hugely exciting thing about red light therapy, actually, the way that you can treat different systems and that in itself has this kind of holistic healing effect. Yeah. And talking about different organs, um, the thymus, for example, or the thyroid, those can be stimulated. So it's often described as stimulating a specific organ. A personal I've noticed if I have any kind of traveler's diarrhea or any kind of gut issues, I ate something that was not good. I bounce back much more quickly by using red light therapy. It also helps with the pain modulation, so that goes away. So I guess it's somehow like helping the body to fight whatever it's going through in terms of the inflammation and recover. It just speeds it up. So if you think of wound healing, it might speed up wound healing by 2x so your wounds heal two times faster so if you think of like i got the issues it can also help get out of that vicious cycle in a sense and if you have any kind of like chronic autoimmune conditions or so on so i personally have noticed like with some more chronic issues you give your body the ability to get out of that loop where it's not able to restore normal function necessarily so it might be like just the right tool to tip it to the right direction. So I've seen people with rheumatoid arthritis, for example, who get a lot better with that, where the body is normally like constantly fighting condition. When you combine that with other modalities that would help, let's say, anti-inflammatory compounds, anything from curcumin, ECM95, for example, 
of course, changing diet in such a way that you don't stimulate the autoimmune condition through the gut too much and you help the gut to heal some of these symptoms. Even in addition to rheumatism, there might be skin rashes, uh, psoriasis, like a lot of different conditions can improve. And there is, there's definitely studies on this, but it's very interesting. Yeah, you want to talk about a little bit about the different organs and all that? Sure. I think that the body is always trying to return to homeostasis, right? So the body is that's where it wants to be and that's what it's trying to do even when you're getting all of these weird symptoms in a way it's just the body trying to compensate for something that's missing or trying to work around some toxin or some injury so the body always wants to get to that homeostasis and so you know when you're shining this light onto wherever your target is that you're just helping the body to get there but for sure, I think there is a lot of studies. We mentioned that that database earlier where there's thousands and thousands of study and you can look at anything that you want to look at, bone or like you say, heart tissue, thymus, whatever it is. And there are a lot of studies that's done on that because really we're giving the body energy, we're giving the body blood flow, we're signaling to the cellular DNA what's going on in the mitochondria so your body can make the adjustments. So really wherever you're putting the light, you're having this effect. Things like using long bones to stimulate stem cells or adipose tissue to stimulate stem cells. What you're doing, again, is just giving the body the tools that it needs for self-healing. So I've also seen people use the light for all kinds of different things. Personally, I think stomach issues respond the most rapidly and seem to get the most effect. And maybe that is because you have this kind of combined effect of increasing blood flow energy and reducing the inflammation. And because the gut is an easy target. Because we're fairly transparent to near infrared light, actually, but it obviously depends on the delivery system, how deep into the body the light can go. If you some of the deeper organs, maybe you're getting more of an effect of improving the environment rather than actually stimulating the tissue. But those things that are nearer to the surface, the gut, like you mentioned, the thymus, those places you can maybe stimulate more directly and potentially have a quicker effect there. So yeah, I think really it, whatever organ you're targeting, whether you're actually having a knock-on effect by making more blood flow, making more energy, or whether you're actually stimulating the organ, which again, extremely possible, that's what you're doing. You're letting the body get to its own homeostasis quicker than it would before. And of course, anything that you're doing to improve that, grounding, eating good food, all the good biohacks, it's just preparing the body and giving yourself more chance to get there a lot quicker. And it's interesting, actually, with some of the compounds you mentioned, things like turmeric, things that are very brightly colored are probably light activated too. Their structure is going to resonate with the light to some degree. And I think, again, this is probably research that's for the future. We haven't quite got there yet, but soon we'll work out how to activate certain supplements and compounds with certain wavelengths of light to increase the efficacy of those compounds. So yeah, for sure. We're just giving the body the tools it needs to do its thing. Yeah, and there's, of course, there's this dose-response curve that, like, too little, there's not much effect, and too much, there might be a reverse effect, a detrimental effect. So with photobiomodulation, it's all about the power of the LEDs, distance, and then the duration. Personally, how I use that, if I put it, like, right on the skin, going for a joint, for example, infrared light goes, near infrared goes deeper than red light alone. But so if you want to really target a joint, then I go close to the joint and then it might be just like five to 10 minutes, maybe 15 maximum is just a good dose. While if I'm lying down or under 
red light device for whole body treatment or upper chest or whatever back and the distance from the lamp is let's say 10-15 centimeters then I might stay there for half an hour and if I increase the distance from the body then it goes like 45 to an hour even but one should always start with this just testing how their body and skin and everything reacts to that's not like harmful it's not gonna tan you which is funny like some people who have bought a red light device they claim they like saw a nice tan but maybe it's more like a blood flow that they notice but it's quite interesting actually when you look at these chromophores so chromophores that absorb different wavelengths of light so we mentioned cytochrome c oxidase that is about 600 to 1000 nanometers where it peaks off the absorption of that wavelength of light now if we look at something like hemoglobin the oxygen carrying thing in, in, in red blood cells that is less than 600 nanometers about 500 to 600 then plants have chlorophyll which is like one molecule difference from the chlorophyll that carries oxygen in plants which is green in humans is red with hemoglobins one molecule difference and then when we go into melanin which is in the skin the pigment that it actually absorbs mainly uv light and blue light and it really doesn't absorb this like red or near infrared or whatever like the higher the frequency the less melanin is absorbing it then you have in the eyes you have the retinol cells you have also carotenoids these organic pigments that are also in plants but which are really important for eyes so carotenoids are about 400 500 nanometers uh, beta carotene for example is about 450 nanometers interestingly it's the same as bilirubin which is the the bile producing compound it's about 450 nanometers or so and basically what blue light does it helps to break down bilirubin products that can be more easily eliminated by the body so there's this like whole day night cycle how our eyes our bodies blood everything is like reacting to different frequencies of light and it's fascinating that there is even these flavoproteins flavins those are actually they also peak around 450 nanometers so they are important cofactors in various redox reactions in the body. The whole recycling energy basically is, is connected to different wavelengths of light in the body. It's fascinating. I mean, if you shine a flashlight on your hand, certain wavelengths coming through it. So see what light gets absorbed by the cells. And eventually, all of that has a biological effect, not just to regulate our circadian rhythms, which is another effect, of course, uh, the intensity of different frequencies with day-night cycle, but it's also helping these cyclical processes in the body. So I find it very fascinating how it all functions. Yeah, probably light is being transferred into different forms of light. You can shine light onto the mitochondria, red and infrared, and then the mitochondria is actually emitting its own light in the predominantly in the UV range. So you're transferring the wavelength of that light. So the body is doing all of this communication with light, with, like you say, all the different light receivers depending on the structure and the resonance that's going on in the body. So potentially some of the effect of this light could be how we're stimulating further biophotonic emission. It's especially interesting in the brain because that has implications for how our brains are actually functioning and how obviously a lot of our processes seem to be quicker than we would expect with the model of the body that we have at the moment. So this goes into that kind of quantum biology piece where we're looking at, okay, how are we transferring energy or how is the body actually signaling? Could 
part of that signaling actually be with light. So you're right, you have all these different molecules that are resonating at different frequencies and absorbing light, but they're also potentially putting out light of other frequencies. We are literally beings of light in that we're absorbing light and we're also emitting light and potentially our cells are communicating via that light. And certainly that's been seen in a lot of studies with bacteria. We know bacteria emit light and it seems like they do use that light as some form of communication. So I think from a point of view of looking at the quantum biology angle and looking at things like biophotonic emission, that again is something that's fairly in its infancy right now, not a whole lot of funding to study things like that, but people are starting to get more of an idea of perhaps this is much more important than we previously thought. Indeed, yeah, we are definitely responding to our environments in so many different ways. We are biochemical, bioelectrical, maybe even like biophotonic entities. And if you think about it, photoreceptors, just like cells, primarily retinal cells have this capability of responding to light, but there's also non-visual photoreceptors in the body. Melanopsin is a good example that photopigment that really is involved in the circadian rhythm and pupil responses and all of that. And if you look at plants and bacteria, you mentioned bacteria, so they do have mechanisms to detect light. And of course, photosynthesis is an important process, like thinking about our ancestors, but also like signaling in a sense. And there's probably nothing more beautiful than bioluminescence bioluminescent algae communicating with each other on mating rituals. <laughs> yeah, but let's talk about the practical details of photobiomodulation. So what are your favorite protocols or applications of photobiomodulation specifically? Where do you apply it and what kind of effects are you personally looking at? So I'm into this whole systemic thing and finding the best way to actually deliver light to the body to have an effect. So I've, for the last five years, really been solely focused on how to deliver light most effectively for brain optimization. And it is actually quite difficult to get light onto the brain because although we are fairly transparent to near infrared, we still have to get through bone and connective tissue and a lot of things to actually get to the surface of the brain. One of the ways is to use a longer wavelength of light for potentially a deeper penetration. I've been utilizing not only the two main wavelengths, which is like the visible red and the 850 near infrared, but also going up to 1070 nanometers. So that's interesting. And even then, the evidence shows that if you're shining light actually through the skull, even if you've got quite a strong light right up against the head, you're still only getting between 1% and 3% of the photons actually getting to the surface of the brain. So I've really been working on, okay, let's utilize this systemic effect a bit more and shine light somewhere where we know we can actually deliver a lot of photons. And so that's shining light onto the gut. And I think that's probably the best target for the brain because we don't call the gut the second brain not for a reason. We have a lot of, we have the vagus nerve there, we have stem cell production, we have neurotransmitters, we have the endocannabinoid system, and it's an easy window. You can easily expose a good proportion of the gut and you know that the light is penetrating at least a couple of centimetres. So for me, that's what I've been really working on for the last five years is, okay, how can we develop some tech that we're targeting the brain, but we're not necessarily shining the light directly onto the brain solely maybe a dual device approach where you shine light onto the brain and maybe modulate that with the pulsed frequencies, which again is a whole other avenue, which is very interesting, more neuromodulation, but then actually using the gut as the main target for the brain to actually make sure you're delivering a good dose of light. 
because all of that blood, we know it's going to carry the light and we now know that mitochondria are free floating. That's a fairly recent finding. That was only published in 2019, I believe, the fact that we have mitochondria that can migrate around the body. So utilising the gut as the best target for a brain health effect. And so far, I've been looking at a lot of the research. I've got a few pilot studies going. I know Dr. Anne Liebert in Australia has got some really interesting data on Parkinson's disease using this using the gut as a target. There are some other researchers who are also looking at this, especially in the south of France. There's a group that are using a mouse model of Alzheimer's and getting hugely increased effects when they target the gut and brain together. They've done studies on a mouse model where they target the brain, they get an effect, they target the gut, they get an effect. They do both together. You seem to get this much increased effect. There's a synergistic effect there. So that's really been my focus on, okay, perhaps the best way that we can deliver light to the brain is actually not by targeting the brain directly, but by targeting the gut and then maybe modulating brain waves using pulsed light to the brain. So you're working with Sarah Tribe and you have a device for doing all this. Can you describe how it works? So it's a fairly simple device where I just have a body panel. So the panel has the two wavelengths, the 630 and the 850, because we know we can. there's not much barrier there at the gut. So you're getting a lot of light to the gut there and delivering a fairly high dose, about 30 joules per centimetre squared, which is a good dose of light to the gut. But at the same time, a headband that has different pulsed frequencies, because that's an interesting thing that we know now that we can do with light is we can modulate what's going on in the brain by pulsing the light, which really just means turning the light source off and on at a certain hertz rate or a certain times per second. And that seems to have really interesting effects, especially for some of the neurodegenerative conditions or for things like meditation and focus. So my band, it's got four different wavelengths in the headband. So as I said, it's got 630 and 850, but also those longer wavelengths, 940 and 1070. And then it has six different pulsing schedules, ranging from 7.8, which is human resonance, right up to 100 hertz, which is perhaps not so perceptible to the brain in that you don't see a reflected change in brain waves, but it does seem to increase altered states or meditative states. So that's the idea is to utilize the gut as the target using a body panel the Sarah body panel, and then you target the brain with a headband that utilizes this pulsed frequency. And it does shine light. You are getting a little bit of light to the brain. And if what we were talking about before, you have these quantum effects, you have water effects, you have the brain producing biophotons, that small amount of photons delivered to the brain has been shown to have a hugely beneficial effect. I just want to maximize that effect by treating the gut at the same time. Of course, a lot of studies are done on degenerative diseases. That's where the holy grail, of course, is if this could help with Alzheimer's or dementia. So that's a lot where a lot of studies are done. Now, it's very interesting because it does seem to stimulate brain-derived neurotrophic factors. So yep. in neurological applications, EDNF is important because it stimulates and is involved in neurogenesis, so basically creating new nerve tissue and also in neuroprotection sense, so like slowing down your degenerative diseases. And also in brain injury, that's one area that is also interesting is if you get concussion, maybe this could help other protocols involved. Now, there is the glymphatic system. So the lymphatic system that extends to the brain is called the glymphatic system mediated through glial cells. So photobiomodulation does affect glial cells, just for example, astrocytes and microglia. 
And that might promote an anti-inflammatory response as well. So that kind of flushing out toxic byproducts is, is probably important for conducting this kind of environment where neuronal survival is objective. Then there is, you mentioned the pulsation. I remember VLI, for example, had in Nature magazine an article about this. They use like an intranasal delivery to the brain. And what happens there is synchronization of brain waves. So just like with music, if people have heard about binaural beats, you can also use light for the brain waves to synchronize. So you can induce certain brainwave patterns that could be, let's say, related to a meditative state. But that might have implications also for certain brain-based conditions like anxiety or mental health issues or PTSD, where I believe there is a huge gut brain component usually involved. So often like people who have anxiety, depression, there might be a gut component involved. So there has been observations on disturbance of the microbiome and gut lining and all of that. And when you fix that, it also helps the brain. I think there's like a two-way communication that is key. You have to target both. And that's why you get this like reduction of brain fog and maybe improved mood and all that by also fixing your gut simultaneously, not just focusing on the pain. So basically these symptoms related to depression and anxiety, there might be an inflammatory condition behind that. By the way, one thing that we didn't mention on the FX, we mentioned cytochrome C oxidase and mentioned nitric oxide, but we didn't talk about reactive oxygen species. Why reactive oxygen species are interesting is that when you have this pathway of reactive oxygen species activated, it also activates transcription factors like NFKB and AP1, and these regulate gene expression related to cell survival, inflammation, and cell proliferation. Although it's related to oxidative damage, and, and then you have antioxidants that help fight that. But in the body, to speed up healing, you might want to actually stimulate cell renewal and recycling and not just inhibit that. There's a lot of interesting effects there. So if you have like a brain-derived vision, what you could potentially do. So basically, your favorite application is on the gut, but you also mentioned that on your device, you have four wavelengths. And basically the red light, the shorter wavelengths that probably when applied on the skull is mainly on the tissue level, maybe on the skull level, like maybe improving blood flow there. It yeah, might improve hair on. growth. Yeah, hair growth, like all of that is of course like another brain or head related issue that people want to work with. So that might also improve like hair growth. Now the infrared light that goes deeper might reach the brain, but with this Longer wavelengths like 1070, I would imagine it goes even deeper, so strong enough to penetrate the skull as well. I think even the 850 will penetrate the skull. We know that the 850 will get through. There there have been a lot of studies on that. But I'm specifically thinking I want to target the water because water absorbs light when you go above 900 nanometers. So actually, it might be that those long waves like the 1070 doesn't actually penetrate a lot deeper because the water will absorb a light before it really travels down far. So probably the 850, the 940 and the 1070, perhaps they penetrate to a similar depth considering that the longer wavelengths are going to be absorbed by the water. But I think from all the studies that have been done, they've only been done on mainly on 850 and people are seeing amazing results. So it's obvious that you really only need to get 
a small amount of photons just to the surface of the brain to have an effect. And I think, again, that's something where more research is going to come in, perhaps because the brain has a lot of projections from deep in the brain to the surface. You're actually affecting the connectome or what's actually going on in the brain. Maybe even the neurons are acting as fiber optics, like waveguides for the light that's directing the light deeper down. We don't know actually right now why shining light just onto the surface of the brain has such profound effects for diseases like Parkinson's, which is due to the substantia nigra fairly deep in the brain. So I think just getting light onto the surface of the cortex is enough. We know that from studies. It's just interesting to, we're going to find out soon enough, how are we affecting deep structures? Is it more this systemic effect? Is it mitochondria? Is it the water? Is it some kind of quantum effect? And that's why I think this is such an exciting field to be in, because there's so much left to learn. We really are at the early stages of the research. Yeah, I believe so. If we take something like optogenetics, where we might induce light-sensitive proteins to respond to light, I would imagine like with the therapy where you're putting something into the bloodstream that gets into the brain, across the blood-brain barrier, you can use then light to activate that. Personally, I'm using sometimes a dental device that reduces plague formation by targeting the bacteria specifically. So you have this specific compound that you gargle with, and that makes only that specific type of pathogenic bacteria light sensitive. And then you use a device to activate, basically destroy only that type of bacteria with light. So I would imagine you could potentially treat some brain-derived conditions that's interesting, Tammy. Where do you shine the light then? In the mouth. Yeah, it's called Lumoral, this device specifically. It's some kind of uh, seaweed extract that they use. Like it's, I think it's basically like it attaches to the bacteria only. And then this light, which is more, I think it's more like UV. Yeah. It looks like blue-violet-ish light. And, and that then destroys the bacteria. It's incredible what it does to plague mouth. It's just all gone after a treatment. And there's a lot of interesting studies behind that for treating gum disease and all kinds of stuff where it's very hard to get into the deep pockets where that bacteria is residing. You're able to use something like this. Yeah, it's a non-invasive method, right? And they have actually, I remember reading a paper and a study published, it was in South America, I think it was in Brazil. They studied herpes and they figured out a similar way of, of marking that virus with light and making it photosensitive and then being able to destroy it. And it's just, you can destroy the herpes virus anyway. You don't even need to make it photosensitive. If you use UV light on the herpes virus, I know one of my scientific advisors, Professor Paul Chazot, was doing studies actually using UV light. On yeah, specific wavelength on viruses. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You can just get little devices. If you've got a cold, because herpes, it's like the cold sore virus. If you you can actually just use a very pinpoint UV light. And things like acne, we already know things like acne, the bacteria that causes acne. And you can use a blue light on that. You don't need to photosensitize it. It's just because of the way that the bacteria have different kind of cell membrane. You can destroy those with the blue and UV light without damaging the human yeah. cells too. I, th I think you can also do the same for photosensitization with yeah, sure. like certain types of cancer cells and a lot of things. So I believe there will be a lot of therapeutic agents that we will be developing in the next decade in a very targeted way without yeah. using a scalpel where we can get into the tissue and we can get rid, rid of every single cell. Like if you think of something like warts, for example, 
which have high reoccurrence because you have to get every single cell out mm-hmm. that has that virus. And if there's even a little bit left, it might renew itself. But if you can target every single cell with a targeted therapy, they are using lasers right now to cut this out or freeze them or whatever. But there might be a much more, I would say also less traumatic yes. ways to treat yeah, things. Yeah, less traumatic on the body. You're, you're being able to target. Certainly, I spoke to a doctor the other day who had developed a brilliant photosensitizer for looking at tumors. So you could deliver this photosynthesizer and then you could wear a special pair of glasses so the surgeon could more comprehensively make sure that there was none of the tumor left in the body. And that's technology that he'd already developed that's out there already. He was a dentist who'd done a lot of stuff with, because a lot of this stuff is in dentistry already, as you were mentioning. But if you can have different ways that help surgeons to be more effective in what they're doing, also, that's hugely effective. And there are tools that are out there now, but you're right. Anything that we can do to make things less invasive, less traumatic, more easy for people to do so they don't need to go into hospitals, can do things in clinics where potentially you're not going to get reinfected with something else. Yeah, I think that's definitely the future for a lot of these technologies. I remember a professor demonstrating an open heart surgery technique where they would create this kind of photosensitization of specific types of cells in the heart. And when you're like cutting into an open heart that you're not, you're avoiding like very key arteries, which is probably a good idea. And you're basically operating at like nano micromillimeters or whatever. You might like make a huge mistake by just going a little bit off. Like it's actually good that you have something that where they can see better into the tissue just doesn't look all the same, but they can distinguish between cells. And and in that way, you can also then get some potential problematic things out. Now, let's go back to Earth. (laughs) Um, On a regular person who is looking into these devices, there is a lot of different options on the market. You have like spotlights, you have panels, you have bigger stacks of panels, you have portable ones, you have things that are designed to be applied mainly on the face for beauty things. You have different LEDs ranging from anywhere between 600 and 1,100 or 170, whatever, nanometers. In this sea of opportunities for using photobiomodulation, what would be your like recommendations? I can personally say that there's no single one-size-fits-all solution, so I have like different devices for different situations. But what is your advice if someone is looking for a device like this? I think you need to be aware of your goal. You know, what is it that you're trying to achieve with the red light device? Because there are all kinds of different form factors. And certainly if you're looking for like general wellness and something that you can maybe incorporate into your morning meditation, then the panels are great. You can get a panel and you can sit in front of that and they're cool. I think if you're looking at a more kind of healing therapeutic function, you really need something that potentially contours to the body because don't forget light will only go in a straight line. Light is not going to bend to you. It will bounce off you and all kinds of crazy things. So if you really want to deliver a good dose of light to the body, it's best to get something that you can shape around the body, especially if you're trying to get to an injured joint or something. So I think for wellness, the panels, for joints, some kind of flexible device that you can strap around the body. And you need to get you need to get it from someone where they have listed their specification because it does need to be a reasonable dose of light. We spoke a bit about this kind of Goldilocks effect of too little's not enough and too much is too much. 
I think it is quite difficult to overdose with red light, but it is easy to not do it enough. So I think making sure you're getting something that's got a decent milliwatt output. And at the moment, there are no standards, unfortunately, because the form deliveries are just so different. But if you know that you're getting it from a good manufacturer where they've given you your specification and they have a rationale for their dose, then at least you're getting a good dose according to the manufacturer. And then again, something my device is portable and easy. It's battery operated and shielded and Bluetooth protected and all of that. They may be things that are interesting for people who are on a, looking for something that they use every day for concentration, for focus, for wellness. So I think they're the things you need to look at. What do you want to use it for? If you really want to get into joints and into difficult to reach places, you do need something that contours around the body so that you get the full dose of light. And if you imagine light is coming at you like in arrows coming down, if you have something that's curved around a joint, you're getting the effect of all of those lights converging on a point, which is great. That's what you want for a joint. You're not going to get that so much with something that's flat. Precisely. So yeah, yeah, it depends what you're trying to do. Just get something for your individual need. But yeah, the more focused you need to be, the more you need a device that's been specifically designed for that function. Yeah, I personally, I use these bigger panels in the morning just to increase blood flow and get ready for the day. Like I use it sometimes as a pre-workout almost because of the nitric oxide effect. Like some bodybuilders use beetroot, I use red light. And I think it's red light is more effective than beetroot for that specific reason. And then it's important, of course, to be aware of this kind of biphasic dose response, also known as the Arndt-Schultz curve or hormesis effect where low doses of light stimulate certain physiological processes and higher dose will inhibit those responses. So you have to understand like the optimal dose, like not falling asleep under your panel, but like knowing the right dose. And then like this like uh, targeted use, I personally like these battery operated ones like yours to be used when I travel. And also when I'm, let's say, sitting at my computer and chair or something, I, I apply it on a gut or like a joint or something like this while I'm doing something else. Well, a big panel will just like blind you and it's not so comfortable. I mean, there's people out there like Ben Greenfield who have all these images of them using big panels while they use computer. I have no idea how they can do that, but I rather use a targeted device. And I've noticed like on shoulder area, neck area might be good while working sometimes to alleviate some neck stiffness and pain so so there's a lot of different reasons why you would have a certain device different situations and i would definitely get one that has these different frequencies because can you explain in what situation you don't want to activate let's say near infrared light and in what situation the red light is not that necessary so you want to switch between near infrared and red light does anything come to your mind like as in terms of application? It's mainly a case of penetration depth because the red light is surface level. If you're looking to do things like we spoke about collagen and fibrinogen and all of those things. So if you're looking at something where you're fairly surface level, you want to stimulate, like for example, a cosmetic application, or if you just want to stimulate the blood, like you said, a scar application, that then the red light is a good option. The near-infrared light is going to go deeper and you need that for a joint, for an organ function. To be honest, I think if you're using both together, that's great because you're going to target the surface and deeper still. 
So I don't see much wrong with using them both together for almost all applications, even a cosmetic application. But certainly red light on its own is fine for just surface level things. Yeah, I remember reading specifically about shining the light on testicles. Oh, yeah. Uh, and of course, that's very interesting for men if you are looking into testosterone production because there is a mechanism with photobiomodulation that stimulates the Leydig cells in the testes, which is responsible for testosterone production. So the idea is that with this light exposure, you could enhance the mitochondrial function of these cells, and that might lead into the increased production of testosterone. But I think there is like a dose and safety curve because your testes are outside of your body for a reason. So I wouldn't heat them up like too much with your infrared light, for example. I, I might maybe use more red light for that. That's a good question. Like what's the right amount? I was going to say most of these devices, if they're good, they shouldn't get too hot because although you're using near infrared, it's right down there in the 850s. So the body, it's not so much the thermal energy you you want to have the light pads should get warm but they shouldn't get hot so if they're getting really hot either something's gone wrong with the fan on them or the output is potentially too high because i think even when you're doing testes you you still want to penetrate a little bit deep because you do want to get into the tissue so i think you could use near infrared but you just have to use your kind of common sense you don't if it's uncomfortable don't do it and you need a lot less time because you can adjust the dose by either increasing the output or the time. Both of those things are going to have an effect. It's like making a cake. You can bake something for longer on a lower temperature or vice versa. So I think for sensitive areas, you can use a similar device, use the near infrared, but just use it for a lot less time. And I have to say, just to put in there, Temu, it is also for women too. Women also want to boost their testosterone. It's a question I used to get asked a lot more. And I'd forgotten about it because actually at the last few events, people haven't asked me so much, but it used to be one of the main questions, maybe because Ben Greenfield, I think he did that article, didn't he, about where he shines the light. And that became a big topic of conversation for a while. But certainly I think you can use these longer wavelengths, which potentially will get warmer, but just use them for less time. Maybe use them for a minute and you do it a couple of times a day rather than doing it for an extended period. A lot of it does come down to people taking a bit of sovereignty and a bit of self-responsibility and using the light in a way where you're using your body as a measure. You can tell if something feels good. You can tell if something's too warm because we are all individual and it's not one size fits all. Even things like skin tone has an effect on how the light is going to penetrate. So it's very difficult to give certain specific protocols because of that. But a lot of these devices are very user-friendly once you start using light and you get used to it, you can tell in your own body what's going on. So, yeah, I think you, near infrared, yeah, you can use it even on sensitive parts of your body. You just have to do your N equals one and work out what works for you. Yeah, what I'm thinking about in terms of females is also like reproductive health and yeah. ovary. There's not that much studies, but I would imagine red light for the biomodulation might have an effect on follicular development, ovulation, like certain fertility aspects. I mean, if you think about the cellular energy production, ATP, the ovaries are also central in production of hormones like estrogen and progesterone. So like there might be a potential hormonal balance related effect there. Usually when you have men studying these things, they're just like first thing they do is like shine, shine a light on their testicles or something. But like this is some super interesting area for study for sure. It is. And I did a little bit of digging into this at one point. 
And we're kind of biohackers, so we're focusing on performance. But actually, there's a lot of data in things like farming because they're way ahead because this is a lot of money. There's big money in farming, like prize cattle and things. So they're already using these kind of light therapies. Things like sperm production in bulls, things like fertility in animals, because it works and they're getting results. I think there are plenty of examples where this is actually being put into practice and having a result. And after all, we're kind of, we are all mammals. We're functioning on the same system. So if it's working in those kind of environments, it's going to work in a human environment. We just need to get the data out there and the clinical trials need to go ahead. But for sure, there's already evidence that it is having a huge effect on all of those things you mentioned, fertility and reproductive health. My friend's cat always likes to hang out around the red light panel when it's on. I don't know if it's because it's the heat or they know better than we Oh, yeah. Animals are so clever. I have a friend who he does red light therapy for racehorses. Again, people who want to get the edge and know what's up, they are using this technology because it works. These animals are worth millions of dollars or whatever. They wouldn't do something if it wasn't effective. So I think there are a lot of lessons to be learned from what's already going on out there, you know, outside of the human domain. Precisely. That's already done on the genetic side, even supplementation. A lot of that has been applied on race horses. So it's very interesting how this will be combined and what we can learn from it. But if you've seen on the internet people tanning their balls or buttholes with sunshine, please don't do it. There is a safer method. It's using near infrared light and red light. Then you don't have the UV and all of that stuff going on. That might be a smarter idea. People in the north, they use like these wake-up lights, like these so-called seasonal depression lamps, which is blue light, short wavelength of light, which helps them to wake up. But for me, like the red light and near-infrared, it works better in those darker months of the year. And the reason is that the strength of the light also matters for circadian rhythm. So the intensity of light seems to be also a fact. So you can actually get similar seasonal effects also from very strong red light. But also the fact that when you are meditating in front of one of these panels and you feel this, I can't describe it, but it feels almost like being on the beach in sunshine. This just beautiful warmth and like just this sense of well-being that comes from it that I just don't get eyes closed in front of seasonal light therapy lamp. So I, I rather opt for a really good red light, near-infrared light device if I have a choice in winter months rather than using a daylight lamp. But definitely it's useful when you work at the computer or something to have a bright light close by, but I always have my red light also there if I need it. It's different mechanisms through the light through the eyes and light through the body, but you're right. The body responds to sunlight and in turn red light by creating natural opiates, in fact. Our bodies want us to enjoy being in this light because we're meant to be out in it. It's healing for us. It's good for us. So our body provides us with those happy chemicals to make sure we do it, I think. Precisely. Yeah, we are light beings. Now, if people want to check out your device, where should they go? Yeah, so it's just Sarah Thrive, which is C-E-R-A, Sarah Thrive. So I'm Sarah, but this Sarah is spelled C-E-R-A, so sarahthrive.com. And then all my socials are the same, Sarah Thrive or Sarah. That's wonderful. Your name justifies the whole product already. So it's not a coincidence. It's a really good device and appreciate talking to you. You know a lot about this topic and happy to share 
this incredible primer to people about biomodulation red light. So check out seratribe.com for more. Thank you so much, Sarah, for coming to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tamer. It's always great to speak to you. Yes. So stay light beings out there. And if you don't have sunshine, get a red light device.